In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. From Isaiah chapter 55. As rain and snow come down from heaven, and don't go back again, but water the ground, and make it produce and grow, and give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so will my word be that I speak. It will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I want and achieve what I had in mind. You will go out with joy and be led out in peace. The mountains and the hills will break into shouts of joy before you, and all the trees in the field will happily applaud. Where there was a thorn bush, a cypress will grow. Where there was a briar, a myrtle will grow. And this will honor the Lord and be an everlasting sign that will not be cut down. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our epistle reading is from Romans chapter 8. It will serve as our sermon text. And so, fellow Christians, we don't owe it to the flesh to live according to the flesh. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you kill the activities of the body, you will live. All who are moved by God's Spirit are God's children. You didn't receive the spirit of slaves to make you feel afraid again, but you received the spirit who makes us God's adopted children and moves us to call Abba Father. This spirit assures our spirit that we are God's children. And if children, then heirs, God's heirs and joint heirs with Christ, since we share in his suffering in order that we may also share in his glory. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 13th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. That same day, Jesus left the house and sat down by the sea. But so many people gathered around him that he stepped into a boat and sat there while all the people stood on the shore. And he told them many things in parables. A sower went out to sow, he said. As he was sowing, some seed fell along the road, and the birds came and ate it. Some seed fell on rocky soil, where it didn't have much soil. Because the soil wasn't deep, the seed came up quickly. When the sun rose, it was scorched, and because it had not taken root, it withered. Some seed fell on thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it. But some seed fell on good ground and produced grain, some a hundred, some sixty, and some thirty times as much as was sown. If you have ears, listen. Listen to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message of the kingdom but doesn't understand it, the evil one comes and takes away what was sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the road. In another, the seed falls on rocky ground. He is one who welcomes the word with joy as soon as he hears it, but it doesn't take root in him. He believes for a while, but as soon as the word brings him persecution or trouble, he falls away. In another, the seed is sown among thorns. He's one who hears the word, but the worry of the world and the deceitful pleasures of riches choke the word, and it can't produce anything. 
But in another, the seed is sown on good ground. He's one who continues to hear and understand the word and goes, and so goes on producing good things. One hundred, another sixty, and another thirty times as much as was sown. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Our sermon text today is our epistle lesson. Grace and peace to you from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. What if things were different? What if events happened differently? What would my life be like? It's not uncommon to ask such questions at different points in our lives. And most of us ask such questions, especially when we are teenagers, as we wonder different possibilities of what might be and what might have been. Perhaps this is why time travel movies like Back to the Future and others have been so fascinating to people. Many of these questions boil down to ask, who am I? Would different events have changed my identity? How would circumstances have changed who I am? Who am I? While such questions are normal, it seems that such questions are often heightened for those who have been adopted. I've seen several articles about and stories of adopted individuals that explore how they struggled with an identity crisis. Maybe they felt like they didn't quite fit in to their family. Or maybe they struggled with anger and frustration over not really knowing or understanding their past. Maybe they felt disconnected from their medical history. Such children may question whether their new name and identity and family is who they really are. They may ask if they are instead the person they were before the adoption. This is essentially the same struggle that we have as Christians, a struggle we face on a daily basis. Paul rightly says that we are adopted by God. We are not natural sons or daughters. We are children and heirs of God, but not by nature. By nature, we're children of the devil, belonging to the spirit of slavery and about to die. And just as it is important for adopted children to know their history and whose child they are now, so it is the same for you and me. We need to know our history and from where we came. God doesn't hide it from us, nor did he hide it from the Israelites. The Israelites were imprisoned in Egypt under Pharaoh. They were slaves. God said, Israel is my firstborn son, Exodus 4.22. By saying thus, God didn't mean Israel was a blood relative or anything of that nature, but that Israel was his heir and that he loved Israel as his firstborn son. God was separating his people out from the world. He called Israel his. He adopted Israel as his own. Already we could see this with Abraham, whom God chose as his own. Now God makes clear that Israel is his, despite that Israel belonged to Pharaoh. Israel's identity was one of slavery, and God was changing that. He was adopting Israel out of that slavery. Now, we could go further back and retrace Israel's history from Adam and Eve and the fall into sin through to Noah and then to Abraham. 
This is truly the history of God's people. This forms part of their identity as sinners. They were and have been born slaves of sin. Their natural identity as a sinner, subject to and controlled by their sinful flesh, what we could say is who they are. They're part of the fallen human family. But such doesn't form their full identity. The rest of their identity, their new identity, and even what we will say is now their true identity is formed by God. God grants them a new life apart from their old family. In this way, they have a contrast between the slavery of sin and the freedom of Christ, between the way of death and the path of life. Christians are caught between two worlds, between two identities, and they are ever struggling with this. We see this struggle as God calls the Israelites out of Egypt as his own, and they rejoice to be part of God's people. But then Pharaoh increases the labors on the people, and they begin to forget about their new identity and life. They get caught up in the worldly pressures around them. They are reluctant to leave their former life or to embrace their new or true identity. We can fast forward a bit and we see this struggle continues as God delivers them again and again. And as he provides for their needs again and again. And yet the people struggle. They wonder what it would have been like to remain in Egypt or they long for their former life almost putting a fairy tale spin on how good it was. And yet they strive to follow God and be his. They proclaim they will follow him and obey his commands about 40 days before they break their promise of obedience. They're ever bouncing between being God's people and his heirs to returning to their former family. Our struggle is not unlike this. I mean, daily, we are faced with questions of who and whose we are. Sometimes we may question whether or not we're really a Christian, wondering, do I really believe? The struggle can also be about how we live. We may struggle with our fleshly desires. These desires lead to us overindulging in the pleasures of food taking a little off the top for ourselves, lusting over things and people, engaging in sexual immorality, and embracing gossip. The struggle often includes fear. Fear of not having something. Fear of being caught. Fear that we can't handle life or that we aren't really living if we don't fill some desire. And then there is the fear that comes after we embrace sin. The fear that we are going to pay for this. That is going to come back. That it's going to come back and bite us. We know it. We fear it. And we live expecting it even as we might engage in the same sin again. Such embracing of sin may also lead us to question whether or not we are Christian wonder if we truly are believers. After all, look what I did. This is the spirit of slavery. This is what sin brings. This is where it leads. 
Paul warns that if you're living this way, which is the way of the flesh, you are about to die. Physical and spiritual death are close at hand, but there is life. It is not found in you. It is found in God. It is found in his spirit through whom you put to death the deeds of the body. Daily, we are to put the fleshy activities and practices to death. Daily, we are to kill these. We are to die to them. Daily, we are to live with them as dead. And in this, we are to have a new life apart from sin. Perhaps you remember this catechism question. What does such baptizing with water indicate? It indicates the old Adam in us by daily contrition and repentance be drowned and die with all sins and evil desires and that a new man should daily emerge and arise to live before God in righteousness and purity forever. Daily we are in this struggle about who we are and whose we are. We struggle between our former life, our natural born family and our new family the one into which we have been adopted. We may feel like we don't quite fit into either. We may feel out of place with the world and may even feel like we're not quite in place in church. And in this world where we live between these two realities and families, this is actually normal because we have ties to both. The question then remains, though, to which family do you belong? And the answer is, we belong to God. We belong to the Father. He has adopted you in baptism. He has put his mark and name upon you in those waters. Your identity and life has been determined. You've been called out of the world and into life with him. You're no longer belonging to the flesh. You do not owe your flesh anything. You do not have to fulfill its desires. You live with God's spirit in you now. He came to abide in you and with you at baptism. He came to live with you and to walk with you. He came to lead you in his word and life. He has made you his son and heir. You have received Christ's place in his identity as a child of God. For the father did not stand by idly watching you die from sin. No, God acted like he did for Israel. He acted to save you and redeem you from sin. God the Father sent his only son into your flesh and mine in order to make us children and heirs. Jesus became our brother in the flesh. He shared our troubles and heartaches. He experienced our life and temptations. He lived in our blood. And then, with that blood being shed, he put to death our old way of life. He put to death our sinful and evil desires. He put an end to our life in slavery. With his death, your life under sin has ended. Just as God rescued the Israelites mightily from Egypt and out of slavery, so God does again, but this time for all people. Jesus ends our abuse and fear and gives us a new life. He has brought you out of that former family and life to have a better life with him. And now your life and identity isn't formed in who you were. It is found only in who you are now.
You are God's child, washed clean, made pure and holy. No longer are you a servant of your flesh and its desires. No longer does your life depend on anything in this world or earth. No longer does your identity depend on the desires of your flesh. No, your life depends on God. It depends on what he has done for you. It's characterized by his choosing you, his adopting you. He has gone to great lengths to make you his own. He has put every effort possible into making you holy and pure. He has taken care of all your true needs and even replaced your old desires with new holy desires. God has even come to dwell within you. The Father and the Son have sent the Holy Spirit to abide with you. God is living in and with you. And he's continuing to work with you and in you. Even now, the Spirit is putting to death your old way of life and bringing forth in you the fruit of good works and holiness. The Holy Spirit works in you, causing you to strive to live toward God and to do good. He works in you as you pray, bringing you to call God your Father. For you are now truly God's heir and a co-heir with Jesus. You are His And as his child, you will face some suffering in this world. You will be challenged to maintain your personal walk in holiness and with Christ Jesus, to continue living as you are, namely as God's child. You may even be challenged to endure suffering for the sake of Christ, to bear the pain of being God's child in this fallen world. But you neither suffer alone nor for long. For Jesus has suffered and still does suffer with you. Your family doesn't abandon you, but stays close with you in such suffering. And such suffering will end soon, as Christ will return in glory to gather his saints. He is coming to gather his church, and by his promise in baptism, he will gather you up to his heavenly home and feast. You have a seat at his table in that everlasting banquet feast and celebration. You have a place and a home living in and sharing in his glory. Even now you have a seat at his table as he brings you his heavenly gifts on earth so that you might be assured that you are part of his family here and now. The peace of God which passes all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord look upon you with countenance and give you peace. Amen. All readings prior to the sermon come from an American translation of the Bible.